journey and um, Synchronicity's journey has been a lot of grit and hard work and planning and then a really healthy pinch of luck and some inspiration along the way. And I think getting the work done and being prepared so that when those moments of inspiration and opportunity present themselves, you are ready. Hello and welcome to Agnes Scott College's podcast, Journeys to Leadership where we explore the paths of inspiring women leaders from around the globe. I'm Leo Kadiazak, president of Agnes Scott, and the host of this podcast. I hope that our guest stories not only encourage you, our listeners and leaders of today and tomorrow, but they also inspire you as you take the next steps in your own journey. Today's guest is well-known in the Atlanta theater community. She has directed over 25 productions for Synchronicity Theater, and her directing work has been seen in and around Atlanta at Actors Express, Aurora Theater, Theater Gale, Dad's Garage, and the University of Georgia. She actively teaches and leads workshops across Atlanta and has made a tremendous impact on the theater industry all over the city. Please join me in welcoming the co-founder and producing artistic director of Synchronicity Theater, Rachel May. Welcome to Journeys to Leadership, Rachel. We're delighted to have you. Hi, thanks for having me. On Journeys to Leadership, we understand that leadership doesn't just happen. It is a journey. During our time today, we want to explore your journey. The ups, the downs, the surprises, all of it or at least as much as we can fit into this segment. So let's begin. Rachel, I heard this rumor that you grew up outside of Boston. Where did you grow up? So I grew up in a little town called Manchester-by-the-Sea, which no one had ever heard of until they made the movie. (laughs) Well, I can tell you I have heard of it. I grew up on the North Shore of Boston um, as well. So I grew up in Lynn. Um, But I'm really glad that Manchester-by-the-Sea became known. (laughs) It's a a beautiful little postcard of a town. Um, And actually, a number of my family members still live there. So we get to go back every summer, which is really nice. It's a beautiful place. What a wonderful place to grow up. It sure is. So when you were growing up, what was it like? And, you know, what were your dreams? Yeah, so uh, I had a lovely, wonderful small town upbringing. Um, I grew up in, I had two households growing up, and both were wonderful. And um, I was very close with my dad, even though he lived about a half hour away. And, um, yeah, you know, I... I never thought, I never sat down and said, I'm going to be a theater artist growing up. Um, and I didn't I didn't necessarily have a sort of, I want to be a doctor, a lawyer, a ballerina, a, you know, any of those sorts of things. I, you know, my parents both instilled a very strong sense of hard work into what we did as we were growing up. And my mother was from former Yugoslavia, and they were immigrants during World War II. My grandfather was in a concentration camp, which he survived. And my dad was first-generation American, so I'm first on one side and second on the other. So there was a lot about gratefulness and hard work and um, contributing to the community that came from both of my parents. So who supported you um, during that time? Did you have mentors when you were in high school? Um, or was it just, you know, a collaborative of people around you and you just got to go on your way? 
Well, I have three sisters, <laughs> one older and two younger. So they were certainly a big part of the support structure and the challenges <laughs> structure in my life. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, my I had a lot of teachers. Primarily, I found that my English teachers were ones that really inspired me. Um, I had a strong love of literature from early on. And that desire to sort of read and immerse myself in stories was always very important to me. Um, I didn't really get into theater until um, I did a lot of arts growing up. I did dance and visual art and that sort of thing. But I really got into theater more in my early teens. And, you know, from that point forward, it was a lot of theater teachers and directors um, who inspired. I had a music director from the summer program that I used to do that was incredible. It was um, a teen um, sort of from 12 to 20 were the kids, and we would rehearse all summer this a musical, and then we would perform a pretty high-quality musical at the end of the summer. And it was this miraculous sort of family of um, of kids and adults who made this work happen, and we were together three hours a night, five nights a week in the summertime, and it was, it was family. It was sweat-soaked, amazing family. And I had a music director, Victor, who would wear a bandana and he would smell roses and be very serious. And he had this thing that he would say at the beginning of a rehearsal where he would say, leave your troubles outside the door, be here now, be sensitive to the music, but more importantly to others as well and have fun. And that lesson of no matter what was going on in your crazy teenage life or you know whatever struggles, it was this notion of you leave that outside and this is sacred space where we create together, and that creating together is based on um, respect and care. And so that was a really um, impactful start to sort of my theater and just general life. <laughs> that is absolutely beautiful. How did that take you to where you are today? First of all, you have to tell us, what does it mean to be a producing artistic director? And... <laughs> How did you get there, and how did you get to Georgia? Yeah, so uh, I'll take the how did you get to Georgia first. Um, <laughs> so I went to college in New Jersey, and then I followed a boy to Georgia. Um, it was someone I knew from growing up who had come down to Georgia Tech, and uh, I packed my car with my stereo and my clothes and had no idea how long I would be here and if I was going to drive home about a week later. So it was really uh, uh, not a well-planned journey. Um, but I got here and I um, found a little place to live and um, sort of started building a life here. So uh, how, what does it mean to be a producing artistic director? It means that you um, clean the toilets and you also <laughs> get to, you know, pick the designers for the shows and select the plays. But in, in all seriousness, it, producing artistic director is a, a title when you're very hands-on involved in the producing elements of things. So I am a person who really loves to be deeply engaged and involved um, in sort of all aspects of things. It's, it's um, I think, one of my greatest skills and sometimes one of my greatest challenges because sometimes I need to remember to not be involved in certain elements. Um, so, you know, when you are a producing artistic director, you are involved, you are overseeing all of the artistic work, but you are also very deeply involved in the kind of implementing and the actual producing of the work. And I really like that um, that kind of juxtaposition and the give and take of those two things because you can bounce back and forth between this very sort of dreamy creative space and this very hands-on 
um, implementation and operational space. Um, so I, that works for both sides of my brain. I have a very strong left brain and a very strong right brain. So I sort of like working in those two spaces. And um, I actually wanted to say, too, to back for a moment to the answer of how did you get started in theater? I'm a firm believer that you should take your kids to see art <laughs> because um, my parents took us to a lot of things. And particularly, my dad took me to see Six Characters in Search of an Author by Pirandello at American Repertory Theater in Boston when I think I was like 11 or 12. And there's a moment where there's a, a little girl in the play and she's playing in a little fake pool because the idea is it's on a stage and they're they're trying things out and they're just actors. But these people who appear think that they're characters in the actual story. And so the little girl's just playing in this fake pool that's not a real pool. You can see that. And then your attention is diverted. And then all of a sudden you look and the mother's screaming and she's pulling the daughter out of what was this fake pool. And the daughter is dripping wet and she has drowned. Oh. And the the power of the theatricality of that moment just pinned me to my seat and inspired me and I think was just really a starting point of recognizing how you can create something so simple in theater that elicits such an incredible, powerful emotional response and that that's, it's exhilarating to sort of think about how you might create that for audiences. So I think that was a, a genesis point as well. And that's so amazing how that can be provided to the audience. So our podcast is about the journey, and you've described some of your journey, but how did you get to synchronicity? Yeah, so um, I waited a lot of tables <laughs> as a young artist in Georgia, in Atlanta, and, um, you know, I was trying to find ways to work. At that point, I knew I was wanted to be a director, but I also um, was a scenic painter, so I worked at the Alliance as a scenic painter for a while, and I stage managed a couple of things. Um, and uh, I had done things like called every theater in Atlanta that I could find in the yellow pages, um, you know, those things that you used to use to find <laughs> businesses. And um, <laughs> I would just call each theater and say, hi, I live here and I'm eager to help. What could I do? And Seven Stages Theater actually said, you can come and sweep our, our stage. And I was like, OK. So I just started showing up at Seven Stages and um, started working. So. Um, you know, over time, I was sort of meeting other artists and young artists, and we were all kind of figuring out who we were and what we were doing. And um, Michelle Pierce, who was one of the four co-founders of Synchronicity, called a meeting together of all these um, young artists who were eager and ready to work. And she held up a piece of paper, and on it, it said Synchronicity. And it had the sort of definition that, that boiled down is a meaningful coincidence. And uh, she said, I think we should do a show. You know, it was very sort of like Mickey Rooney, like, hey, my dad is a barn. Let's put on a show. But we were said, let's do it. And we, we sort of at that meeting made a plan and everybody had tasks to do. And then at the next meeting, we were going to take our next steps. So the next meeting we get there and there were only seven people and only four of us had done any of the tasks we were supposed to do. And then at the third meeting, there were those four people. <laughs> so the four of us are the ones who um, co-founded Synchronicity, which included Hope Merlis and Julie Oceans. So the four of us started the company without really knowing that we were starting a company. We knew we wanted to do a show. And so we thought we would do something really easy for our first project. And we did a stage adaptation of Crime and Punishment um, because that's a good... And that's, you can 
consider that really easy? No, we, we had no idea what we were getting ourselves into. And we had this whole idea where we didn't want to do theater sort of just the traditional way where you get a group of designers and you get the actors and you put together. So we had a variety of visual artists and we had a sculptor um, and we just had these really interesting people who were collaborating on it and we sort of made a show together, which now, you know, we would have called sort of ensemble created or devised work, but those terms were not used as commonly at that time. Um, but we just basically were a group of sort of interesting people who wanted to try and put this piece together. Um, and so we did our first workshop production, and then a year later we did The Feigned Courtesans in a full production, um, and we did it at Emory. And they had a reconstructed Restoration Era theater. And The Feigned Courtesans is by Aphra Bain, who was the first female published playwright in the 1600s. And so that was our first full show. Um, so, yeah, so that's kind of how Synchronicity was born, with a lot of determination and a lot of hard work. And um, really all of us kind of working to make as many connections as we could um, to sort of help us have a way to get started. So we did a lot of reaching out to people we knew and said, how do you how do you do this? I remember I took Richard Garner, who founded and ran Georgia Shakespeare. I said, can I take you out to breakfast and can I ask you a few questions? And I we sat down and I said, okay, how what is a budget? <laughs> what does a show budget look like? Can you tell me about making a show budget? Um, so we really just tried to say, we don't know what we don't know and how can the people who do know what they know really come to us and that was that was very important to me I think because and and it is something I still work really hard at it's why I care deeply about our intern program and it's why anytime someone who's starting a organization or a company or whatever um, anytime that they are trying to get started and have questions I really try to make that time to sit down and, and talk about things and it's why when we got our spaces one of our goals was to sort of make our mission manifest by making our space available as as much as we can to um, newer, younger organizations, because we were helped so much early on by people who had come before us. And we really want to be that for those who are also coming up now. So during this journey, you clearly were willing to do, you know, whatever it was um, to be able to get you in a position to learn from others. Um, you're now a leader and you've talked about the importance of giving back as well. What surprised you about yourself on this journey? Hmm. Yeah, that's a good question. It's almost what doesn't surprise me. Um, I, you know... I think resilience is the the level of resilience, and of course that has been um, tested in a whole new way over the past few years. But I think the level of resilience and sort of ability to keep keep moving forward in a way that releases the struggle and embraces the the successes because I think it's so easy. It's it's a hard it's a hard job. It's a hard job that we all do in theater and really synchronicity is very much a team. And so I I want to say that. Um, and we have we practice a bit of collaborative leadership in the way that we work. Um, but you know I think it would be very easy to hold on to those moments that are so hard or the moments where you feel beat down or those moments where you just don't get it right and you've hurt someone that you're working with or that you just aren't able to deliver 
what you know would be better for everyone, which is often, you know, we're in a resource strapped industry and, uh, and that's hard. So being able to sort of grant yourself grace, I think is really important and something that um, the ability to do that most of the time and pretty well um, is something that has surprised me because it is hard for me to not succeed all the time, um, especially if that means that not succeeding impacts others in a negative way. That's that's really hard for me. So uh, learning how to grant myself grace is something that I've worked hard at and and practicing that with everyone else around me too is something that I work really hard at. You mentioned collaborative leadership. What does that mean or what does that look like? You know, I think by by nature of the organization, which is not a huge staff, um, you know, we have a lot of departments of one. <laughs> so um, it's been really important over time to make sure that people are empowered to make decisions, people are equipped and have the resources and the frameworks needed to make decisions. Um, as I mentioned before, I can sometimes feel like it, it comes from a desire of wanting to support, but I can sometimes feel like I have to be, you know, involved in all of the things. And um, one of the things that has been really powerful has been learning when you don't have to. And that's been about having really amazing people to be working alongside. So that collective leadership is a lot of the things that we decide at Synchronicity, we discuss. We all come together, we discuss, we really try to listen to different points of view. Um, and we try to make, we, we're not a consensus-based organization per se, but we really try to make those decisions together as much as possible while, you know, knowing that there are certain things I have final say over, there are certain things our managing director has final say over, um, but that we really do try to, um, because we have such incredible people, to really bring those, um, all of those different points of view and energy and um, smarts together, which I think stems from sort of how I work as a director. As a director in theater, I really view myself as a collage artist. So it is my goal to sort of have the main vision and to get us there. But that is by bringing out all of the talent and visions of all of the designers and actors on the show and making sure we're kind of all moving in the same direction. And in terms of leading synchronicity, that's something that Salisa Kalki, our managing director, and I really think a lot about is how to make sure that that everyone in the organization has a voice. And that, that goes from people who are, you know, work with us, again, as interns. Um, that's a very important thing. Like, you might be sitting there and you might end up sitting in a board meeting and um, raising your hand and offering an idea. And we want our interns and everyone who works with us to feel both equipped and resourced and empowered to do that. Do you think you have a different leadership style because you're a woman? I think I have that leadership style because I am who I am. Um, so probably, <laughs> you know, I've certainly known uh, men who are great collaborative leaders, so I don't think that's impossible. Um, but I do think that, you know, sort of working from a kind of almost circular structure versus a hierarchical structure, I think is is a more... Uh, tends to be a more woman-based um, process. So, yeah, I think that's probably true. I, You know, I was raised by, as I said, both parents, but I lived in my mom's house, and my mom uh, is professional and a very sort of warm, collaborative person. So uh, I'm sure I inherited a lot of that from her. 
but yeah, I mean, I think it's a different way of operating. Um, you know, I, you know, at Synchronicity, we always have a lot of female designers. You know, we just have a lot of women in the room. And one of my favorite stories of a Synchronicity tech rehearsal, which is, you know, when it's it's exhausting and it's long days and we're putting all the technical elements in and, you know, you're having to run to Home Depot a lot and buy wood and buy screws and buy, you know, tools. And um, I was I was like, OK, I got I'm going to run to Home Depot. What does any what does anyone need? And from like six places in the room, all I heard was chocolate. At the top. <laughs> and I was like, and that's why I love working at Synchronicity. You know, so it was sort of a very that was a very like woman moment in the room that um, chocolate was the thing that we needed from Home Depot. Um, but <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, I think so. Probably. Well, Rachel, it's been such a pleasure having you on the show. Are there any last words of encouragement or advice for our listeners? I would say work really hard to make yourself open to the possibilities that you don't expect. Um, I think that my journey and um, Synchronicity's journey has been a lot of grit and hard work and planning and then a really healthy pinch of luck. Uh, and some inspiration along the way. And I think getting the work done and being prepared so that when those moments of inspiration and opportunity present themselves, you are ready for them and you can take advantage of them. And I think, and this is, um, I'm going to give myself, Rachel, this is the advice that I would give you and everyone else listening. Listen well. That is something I continue to work on. Um, it is so hard sometimes you work you fight really hard to try and do what you need to do as a leader and as a woman leader and I think sometimes along the way the listening carefully can be a challenge and so that is something that I constantly am working on and something that I encourage everybody to listen well with your head and your heart and make space for ideas that you didn't expect what beautiful advice Rachel thank you for sharing your time and your story with us to our listeners, I hope you are encouraged and inspired by Rachel May's journey. It is one of many that we're thrilled to share with you. Thank you for joining us and thank you for listening. And thank you to our producer, Sydney Perry, for making this podcast possible. I am Leo Katia Zak, and this is Journeys to Leadership.